Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean. And I'm Lynette. Today we are excited to share an interview with Alicia and Shane. They are foster parents and they have so much wonderful wisdom to share with us. And today we actually have a really special treat for our listeners. We are dropping two episodes today. This interview with Alicia and Shane and also an interview with Kim who was a gestational carrier. We know a lot of our listeners are looking at different ways to grow their family. And we thought these two episodes went really well together to help people who are trying to figure out what the right option is for their family weigh some of these different options that we don't talk about as often on the podcast. In this episode, you'll hear Shane and Alicia talk about a lot of experiences with foster care. But one thing that we really liked and that that resonated with us as adoptive parents is the focus on the relationships that they have with biological parents and just really making sure that it's a solid, solid relationship, even when that's not really an easy thing to do. Yes, I absolutely loved hearing how they've built this relationship with their foster kid's mom and how they've really become family and just such an incredible story. I loved learning from them. So we'll jump now to our interview with Shane and Alicia. All right, we're here on the podcast with Alicia and Shane. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. So we are old friends with Alicia and Shane, and we're really excited to chat with them and have a reason to catch up, right? So today, can we start off with you guys just telling us a bit about you and sharing some of the things you enjoy? Uh, We're the Gallaghers. I'm Alicia and Shane's my husband. We live in Hayward, California right now. We've been living here for uh, just in Hayward for about a year. We were living in Berkeley for five years prior to that. Yeah, so uh, Alicia and I, we uh, both grew up in the Midwest. I'm from Missouri and Alicia's from Kansas. And uh, we met each other out there at, in a, at a church activity um, and then both went to uh, college together and that's when we got married. And And after that, we first moved to California where we are now. And we've been, we've experienced um, failed adoption and foster care. And so we don't have kids with us right now. Um, we moved to California so that I could go to grad school at Berkeley. Um, so I'm a, I'm a nuclear engineer and Alicia studied communications and she actually just started a job recently too. So uh, we're both just working here in the Bay Area. We just started a karate and kickboxing class together actually. So January, we were thinking about New Year's resolutions and wanted to do something that was fun, but physical. Um, And so we found this dojo and have been going to that every, every day since actually. And so that's something we really like doing together, uh, along with hiking outside. You know, of course, that's really easy to do when the weather is wonderful in the Bay Area always. So, yeah, some couples <clears throat> take dance classes and we just fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. awesome. That has to be a great workout, too. Yes, it is. It's been really great. Let's jump in and maybe kind of chronologically start from the beginning of your story with considering adoption, failed adoption, transitioning to foster care, and then what your uh, experience with foster care has looked like? I think that it's basically started soon after we got married, actually. We were married in 2010, 
And a couple years later, we found out that we wouldn't be able to have kids on our own, even with medical intervention, you know, that wasn't something that was possible for us. And so we started thinking about other routes of growing our family and adoption pretty quickly came to the top of our minds. And so we went to informational meetings to learn a little bit about it in 2012. And then we I think it was you guys actually who we were exposed to open adoption and that option. And so um, we lived in China for a while. And so we took a break from that, but had a chance to volunteer at a um, infant hospice care actually um, for an orphanage in China. And so that was kind of a nice way to stay connected to that part of us that still really wanted to grow our family. So when we got back from China, I think it was 2015, where we started looking at adoption more seriously. And that is when we were connected with um, a young woman in Southern California who was interested in placing her baby with us. And so we, we actually got to meet her and meet her family and we were having a really wonderful experience with her and were invited to um, meet the baby and see her after the birth. And so we saw her, got to hold the baby and it seemed like everything was moving toward adoption. And it was gonna be an open adoption because we were very supportive of that too. And then she changed her mind um, shortly after the birth, which was devastating at the time, but also completely understandable. And I think since then we've realized how much of a miracle it is anytime that, it, that an open adoption takes place. And so after that failed placement, we, we decided to take a break because it had been you know, five, six years of off and on looking at what, how we wanted to grow our family. And so we, that was when we moved to California and uh, Shane was going to school and I was working. That was a really good setup just to kind of get reconnected with those parts of us that enjoyed life outside of just looking at how we want to grow our family. And then we started having that feeling of looking into foster care. What drew us to foster care is we like the, the, the mission is reunification. I think uh, just having gotten really close to this this young woman and seeing how difficult the decision it was to place, you know, we we love adoption and we want we want to adopt uh, someday, but we really resonated with the idea of foster care being about supporting the birth parents and you know rooting for them to be able to have their family together again. So in December 2019. Uh, that's when we decided that we wanted to be foster parents. We started doing the training and everything, and we were approved to be foster parents in early 2020. So it was like that February, March timeframe that we were approved. And so we were, you know, and then the pandemic started really affecting things. We've kind of kept our eye on it, of course, but then March, uh, beginning of March in California was when everything shut down, but we were still able to get approved and that process was fine. We, we waited a couple more months and then it was end of May, 2020, that we were, that we had our first foster care placement. It was the same day that Shane was starting a new internship too. And so <laughs> it was a, a mix of a lot of different events um, all in one day. We were placed with a three-year-old girl and a one-year-old boy. With it being in the pandemic, a lot of their support systems that they normally have weren't happening. I would say that our, t our experience was definitely atypical. Um, it, it felt like we didn't really have a lot of support, but in the end, it ended up being a really great experience. Yeah. And I, I should say that, um, that there are siblings. And so we said that we were open to a sibling group and so they got to come together. So even as challenging as it was, it was nice that they had 
each other to go through that. And so they were with us uh, until September of 2021 when they were reunified with their mom. So they were with us for about a year and a half. That's a long time. So because of the pandemic, how did that affect visitation or connection with biological family? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that was one of the more challenging parts because I think had the pandemic not happened, they would have been able to see their mom in person because the goal was to reunify with their with their mom. And um, <clears throat> but because we didn't know really anything and they were concerned about transmitting the virus, we were restricted to having Zoom visits with her on a weekly basis. And that was really challenging. And so, I mean, there's the physical challenge of trying to make sure that these really busy toddlers are still on camera so their mom can see how how they're doing, um, but also just not really having a chance to see her, how she's doing and, you know, for them to, for her just to be able to hold them. And so I think that really um, set things back too, because the court was delayed on everything because these in-person updates couldn't happen either. So it really put a wrench in things. And honestly, I think it probably prolonged their time in foster care because they weren't able to move things along um, as far as like the court requirements. A question that prospective adoptive parents ask us a lot is, how do you know if foster care is the right route for your family? What would you tell them? I think that everybody should think about being a foster parent. I think that especially young couples who maybe haven't had kids yet, I think it's a great way to kind of, you know, get exposed to what parenting is like. And if you can, if you can parent a traumatized toddler then or teenager, then, you know, you can handle anything and, and you get so much training, you have access to so much uh, information that I really think it's, it's really good for anybody. Um, I also think that a lot of people, a lot more people should consider it because there are levels. These two children were placed with us for a year and a half, but they, you, you can be approved as a foster parent and just be, uh, just be available for like respite services a child just being placed in your home for a couple of nights um, for like emergency placement or something like that. And you always have the option to say no to a placement. So even if you're on the fence, you can be approved and then, you know, they'll call and say, oh, we have a placement for you. And if you're not feeling like it's the right time, you can always say no. But I think that it's a great, uh, it's a great way to serve our community and anybody can do it. Yeah, and I I think that a worry that sometimes comes up is that if they say yes to a placement, but then they need to take a break for a little while or their life circumstances change, and then there's this pressure that now that I'm a foster parent, now people expect me to do that forever because if I don't keep doing it, then people are going to perceive me in a negative way or I'm going to feel bad about myself. But I can say that the kids were reunified in September and we are still waiting for a placement. We've said no to a couple because of we because we were out of town or it wasn't a good match for our skill set. And no one is judging us for not having a placement right now. Because with any, I think, of course, even with adoption, you have to put restrictions on it. They're, they ask you what ages or there are all of these things that you can say yes and no to. And so as soon as you enter this world, you're already, you're already deciding what your limits are. And the same thing is true in foster care. So I think it's, 
you know, that flexibility, we should feel free to move in that flexibility, even if we, if we feel pulled toward that even just a little bit. And then specifically for people thinking about growing their family, I think I, for us, I mean, we already talked about a little bit why we were drawn to foster care. Um, you know, we, we're not sure exactly when our children are going to come to us, our forever family children. We feel really good about helping other families stay together. And we feel like that's a really important uh, calling and mission. Every, every child deserves to be with, with a family that loves them. And um, if we can help them do that with their biological parents, like that's, that's great too. And some of the other conversations we've had with others, they've mentioned similar thoughts that that foster care may not be the best option if you're, just like you mentioned, Shane, if you're really wanting to start your forever family, quote unquote, there's a potential of some situations leading to that, but you shouldn't go into foster care expecting, or at least going into placements, hoping that it ends up in an adoption. Right. I think the statistic that I've heard is that about two thirds of children who are put into foster care will end up being being reunified with their biological parent. It's still very common that you can adopt through foster care, um, but it's not the majority. These kids are still a part of our lives. Uh, since they've been home, we actually have been able to develop a pretty good relationship with their mom and we get to see them almost every week. Um, and so you're, you're still part of their family. And, you know, they, they call me Daddy Shane and Alicia, they'll call Alicia Mommy. You know, we're still part of their family. And that, it doesn't always work out that nice. We, I think we got really lucky with our first placement. Our idea of family has kind of evolved and, and expanded to include more people than just those people who are living under our roof. That's really cool. How sweet. And so what does that look like when you guys get together? Yeah, at the beginning, it it felt pretty awkward. And right after reunification, we expressed to her that we were willing to be part of her life and the kids' lives if she was interested, but we really wanted to follow her lead because it's also completely understandable if she wanted to close the book on our role and just say, for me and for my family, I need to move forward separately. Thank you, but you know, it's time for me to make this clean break. But she was really open to having us continue to be part of her life and part of the kids' lives. And of course, we knew the kids really well, but we didn't really know her and how she would respond to us being a part of that. And so at the beginning, we would uh, meet at a park that was close to her place and we would play with the kids and she would sometimes sit on the bench or, you know, talk to family. And there was just kind of this, a little bit of a distance and just warming up to each other a little bit. And then we had, uh, we brought dinner to that same park a few weeks later and we all had dinner and sat there and all ate together. And then we kept doing that a few more times. And then we invited her to our house and she came and we played with the kids and she had dinner with us. And then on Thanksgiving was kind of the, the pinnacle for me because we, uh, she came over with the kids for Thanksgiving and at the end of the day, the kids wanted to play the pie face game. I don't know if you've played it before, but there's the little, you know, you, you twist the dial and you don't know when the whipped cream is going to hit you in the face. And so it's kind of a gamble and really hilarious game for everybody. And we all played that game, you know, it was. And I think if you had told me at the beginning of all of this, that 
in a year and a half, you're going to sit down with this woman and play the pie face game with her <laughs> kids. I would not have believed you because it, it was just, it was so new and really hard to know how to support her because we're willing to support however, however she needs to, but for her to welcome us in that way and to accept us as family in the same way that we want to accept her and her kids as family is really the, the biggest miracle and such a good experience for us to have right at the beginning. That was beautiful and very well articulated. It sounds like you've had a really good experience. I imagine along the way there were bumps in the road. What would you say were some of the hardest parts during that placement or just in general about being foster parents? These kids come into your life because they've gone through trauma. And so there's there's obviously going to be issues that you're going to have to resolve with them. Um, the kids that were placed with us, they, they almost never slept uh, those first few months they were with us. I, you know, I, it, combination of them being scared and we're strangers and missing their mom and at the time it felt like it was never going to end and it was actually really awful <laughs> um but you know if we could talk to ourselves uh, back then you know talk to ourselves at that point uh and reassure them that you know it, it is going to get better it takes a lot of patience and meeting the kids on their level and being able to compromise and uh, work with them to get to, to that place where they trust you and are comfortable. That's probably the main thing that I wish we could uh, we could do differently in the future with, with future placements is have more patience with ourselves and, and with the kids knowing that this is just going to take time. When there's trauma involved, it's just going to take time to get over, you know, the things that have happened. Like get through it get and through kind it. of it comes with you. And I think that the sleep for these kids was definitely the hardest part to illustrate it a little bit. We were sleeping on our living room floor for several months because we had one child in a room who, you know, would have tantrums and night terrors. And, um, and so she was in one room and then we had the, the toddler, the baby in a crib in our room and he was really light sleeper. And so we were in there too. And he was aware of us. And then he would wake up and then nobody would sleep. So it was better for us to be on the living room floor for a while. Um, and, and then it was just a gamble of which child is going to wake up. And miraculously, it was usually one or the other. There were only a few times where it was both of them. But it was, they would, they would be up and screaming for hours at a time with the night terrors and several times a night. And they're, you know, in a normal time, maybe you could get you know, family or friends to come or um, a sleep specialist, you know, professionals who can kind of come and assess what's happening. But with it being so early in the pandemic and no vaccines, it was really a time for us to just buckle down and kind of survive it. So that was the hardest part with the kids. But I think because we hadn't been parents ourselves either, I think we learned a lot about ourselves and about each other, which I, we, I think there were just a lot of surprises that things that triggered us because we talk about triggers for the kids, but I think as parents, we have triggers too. And then to see I'm handling it this way and Shane doesn't like that, or Shane's handling something this way and I don't like that. And so I think there were a lot of, you know, just normal parenting things that happen, but compounded when you have two of them and it's all new. So I think those were a couple of the biggest challenges. That's rough. 
Uh, and I mean, <laughs> sleep, sleep is so important, right? Like for the kids, especially to, to, you know, be healthy and continue to grow and develop. But as parents, that deprivation, it takes a toll. Yes. yes. It sounds like you're speaking from experience. We well, had, you are too. Yeah. Yeah. I, we had one, one of our children that was a little bit more colicky and we learned really quickly that if Lynette doesn't get eight hours of sleep, that it's not good for anyone in the family. Yeah. Yes. And so. And you don't know so, it until it starts happening yeah. day in, day out. So I quickly became designated as the night parent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it worked for us. But you, yeah, like I, I love how you mentioned that you learn things about each other um, in parenting that you would never know in other circumstances when you're put into really challenging situations and sleep deprived you learn about each other yeah definitely agree with that this is going to be different for every child of course but what would be some of your tips for how to connect with and build trust with your foster kids how did you help them get over some of this anxiety they had i think and shane said this earlier i really think the biggest thing was just being patient and letting time do its thing because we would have, we tried to establish rules to keep everybody safe. These are fun things. These are, you know, you can't do these things. And I think I expected for some reason that I'm the adult, you are the child. And because this power dynamic exists, you will just listen. I had no (laughs) idea that it would take so much effort and so much time, which right now sounds so naive, but at the time, at the very beginning of this journey, really did not know what it would take. So at the beginning, you know, when we're saying, you, you know, you can't do that, let's we need to come over here and, and calm down. And they just say no, and no, and no, and no, over and over again. And then one day, it was months after, it was probably over a year after they had been with us, uh, we, we told um, the the younger one uh, to do something and he was mad, but he did it. And I turned to Shane and, and pointed and just my mouth, you know, my jaw dropped. And I said, did you notice the silent communication? Did you see that? I told him to do something and he did it. Like he didn't want to, but he didn't fight me on it. And so I think that time was really the biggest thing to, for me to see evidence of any you know, any good fruit coming from those little seeds planted a year ago, it took that long, I think, until they, I think they trusted us and felt safe with us before that, but it just took a while to really see that come out with such little people. Yeah. And I would just add to that consistency. Maybe sometimes you can get away with mom and dad not being on the same page if if you have well-behaved kids or something. But I think with just like how big of a challenge some of these some of these children can be you know it takes a lot of unity and and with our relationship and how are we going to respond when this happens and there was a lot of strategizing when we're you know like okay what are we going to do when this happens and when that happens and um i think being really consistent and on the same page bringing that stability to the to their lives i think also helped Yeah, I think a lot of our strategy sessions happened in our bathroom because it was (laughs) in between the kids' rooms and it was automatically connected to a fan. And so there was like kind of this white noise. And so at the end of the day, when we're just terrified of any 
thing waking them up. We're sitting on the edge of the shower, like, you know, as a huddle that, okay, this is what happened today. And I don't know how to handle it. And I guess that was another, that was one benefit of the pandemic for us that in a normal time, Shane would have been off on campus. I was working remotely at the time. And so Shane would have been doing his studies on campus and I would have been at home with the kids full time. But because he was forced to be home, then he knew what was going on. And it was a lot easier to be exactly on the same page from the beginning. So it didn't take as much effort to explain what triggered this child today and what the successes were. So he was he was there. And it, so I think we just got really lucky to start off really equally yoked uh, at the beginning of our foster care experience. At the beginning of the pandemic, things just changed so rapidly. And I think it's awesome that you could look at the silver lining in that, especially for the sake of these two. I think it's really sweet that you can can see it that way. You mentioned this a little bit when you were sharing something earlier, but if you could go back in time, I think Shane mentioned a little bit, but if you could go back in time to the very beginning of your foster journey, any additional advice that you would give yourselves as you were just in the beginning? I think I would tell myself to do more to get help, even though it wasn't easy and everybody was locked down. I think there was probably still more that I could have done to just connect with other mom friends or tell my family I'm not sleeping and the things aren't going well. And so I think just trying more to create more of a community. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things about foster care is that, I mean, we felt especially alone because of these the weird circumstances around it. But I also think that even in a normal time, it can feel really isolating because you, you're not really always connected to other parents who are experiencing these same challenges. And so I think it takes a little bit more proactivity to feel less alone. So you can kind of, yeah, just create this village of people who can support you through these things that you have no idea what you're doing. I think I thought I can do it. I can do this. I can do hard things, but I think it would have been easier on us if we had a little bit more help, even if it was, you know, virtual. Yeah, I was listening to one of uh, your episodes. There was another couple in California who did foster care. um, And they said something about like make noise or something about like, I can't, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but you have to advocate for yourself and, you know, kind of get in the face of the caseworkers. Like you have to tell them what you need and you have to remind them and you have to deal with that stuff. That's probably another thing I would tell myself is like, don't, don't be afraid to advocate for ourselves because it's better off for everybody if you can get the support that you need. That's great advice. What do you feel like we as a society can do and should be doing better to help support children? I just really want there to be more foster parents. I think Alicia and I, I think we're okay parents. I don't think we're the greatest parents, but I know a lot of great people that I think could, could help. I'm not trying to be like on a soapbox or anything. There, there is a big need for foster parents. There's a lot of kids that need homes and stability. Obviously it's a personal decision or a personal decision with your, with your partner. You know, I think it's a really great way to give back to the community and, and there is a huge need. If you were the king and queen for the day and you could revamp anything about the foster care system, 
what would you change to improve the experience that children are having? I think the biggest thing that I'm noticing, probably because I live in the Bay Area and have worked for enterprise tech companies, and I see the huge technological advantages that or opportunities that are available to companies that they have the right software and, and, and everything. Um, I think that the on the county level that foster care doesn't have these kinds of IT systems in place to really keep track of what kids need. So it's it's not a very warm, you know, I'm not, I don't have a very like warm answer of like people need to do X, Y, Z, but honestly, the technology is so lacking and the onboarding process is, it, it just seems really cumbersome and outdated for people who want to become foster parents. And there's not really like a, a Salesforce equivalent system to keep track of a child because sometimes there will, a child will enter foster care and then they leave, but then they come back in. And if they come back in, a lot of that information is completely lost. And so they can't be, they, they don't know who was caring for the children prior to that, who the caseworkers were. There's not, there's just not really a good way to provide consistency of care because so many of these counties just don't have the technology to have, have these profiles on, on the kids. So, and, and that's the one that I'm thinking of because it just seems like the systems exist over here and they just need to go over here. And so there are some companies doing a really good job. Binti is one of them. They're actually based in Oakland and they do a really great job of, of that onboarding process. And so it's, it seems very modern and very simple to stay updated on training and, and everything. And I think they probably provide resources directly to counties as well. But it just seems like I just wish that there were more, you know, technology services addressing these kinds of needs that would just help keep track of the kinds of things that worked and didn't work for kids if they come in and out of care. And just to kind of add to that, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy that you have to do, um, you know, to get approved and then once they get come into your care um, and I just feel like there's there's got to be a more efficient way to do a lot of it you know like some of the things like you have to track how much you're spending on the kids like for clothing every month um, you know that you have rules on how often they're going to the doctor and the dentist and it's very heavily regulated and lots of rules and you have caseworkers coming in all the time there's not enough tools or the tools aren't updated enough to really make it a smooth process for everybody. And it just, it just adds friction and makes it harder for everybody to, to do it. Yeah. And I think that last thought that you just said, right? Like ultimately we're trying to provide this great experience for these children. And sometimes that's maybe compromised a little bit because of the stress that all of these maybe broken systems or, antiquated systems are putting on us as parents or putting on us as a couple. And we could be putting more energy into nurturing, but we have to jump through all of these hoops. Yeah, that's really true. And another problem with it is that social workers, there's a really high burnout rate and a really high turnover. I think in the time that we've been foster parents, we have, and on this one case, we saw three or four different 
social workers assigned to support the kids and communicate um, between us and the court and advocate for the kids. So I think that, and that's probably compounded, uh, certainly compounded by the pandemic. And so when you take that factor into account too, if there's high turnover here and the information isn't being easily transferred between cases, there have been really devastating cases where, uh, you know, in Southern California, where uh, something happens to a child and it just turns out that the court didn't have the right information from the caseworker. And so it's, and you know that there is technology that makes it easy <laughs> or that you could create something that's not brand, brand new that would address these kinds of problems so that it's just more consistent. So it's a very specific, uh, it's like a niche problem, but really would get to the root of a lot of quality of care issues for the kids. I've never even considered that, but I can, thinking about it right now, I can see the mounds and mounds of frustration that that could cause. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about? There was one more thing that I wanted to say. I can't remember if it was a previous question that made me think of it, but I think with foster care, it's important to remember that while it is about the kids, it's also about the bio parents. The mission really is reunification. You know, it's really easy to be judgmental of these people of like, oh, how could you do this? But if you remember that they're a person too with, with history and trauma, you know, there's probably reasons why they weren't equipped to, to take care of their children properly and to just be patient with them. And, you know, they might say really mean things or, you know, it might even get scary sometimes with, with how they, the way they interact with you to be patient with them and be their cheerleader as well. Um, I think that that made a big difference in our relationship with their mother being able to get to the point where it is today. And now she hopefully sees us as a support that, you know, if she starts to feel overwhelmed again and start slipping into bad habits again, she has us as a resource to hopefully prevent her from losing her kids again, that we can, we can help be there for her. I think that that's been really meaningful and gratifying for me to, to be able to, to be there for that person. You touched on the thing I was going to say too, just to make sure that the, the parents are part of the love that you have for uh, this, this desire to be foster parents, because it is about the kids, but because it's about the kids, it also has to be about the bio family. And I think that's probably another thing that could be improved is more training and more focus on making sure the foster parents know that while the goal is reunification, love and respect for the family has to come with that. It's not just, I'm protecting these kids and you have to be a mama bear. You do have to do that sometimes, of course, but there are cases where you really want to nurture that relationship so that they can be happily reunified. And I think another concern that probably, or that at least I've heard come up a lot with friends who consider foster care, because I think a lot of people have considered foster care. I've been surprised at how often I say that I'm a foster parent or, you know, I'm getting to know somebody and they, and how many times people have said, oh, I've always wondered about that. Or I've, I've always thought about doing that. I think probably a hesitation that people have is that reunification 
what if everything goes perfectly well and I invest all of my time and my resources and my love into these kids and then they leave and you there's no guarantee if you get to see them again. We got very lucky, but we know that next time there's a good chance that they could be reunified and we don't have a relationship with them after that. And so I think to that point, I think that it's just important to remember that it's the, that the goal, that because the goal is reunification, that if you're invested in that from the beginning, then the day that that comes gets a little bit easier and you have time to heal. And of course you still love the kids, but it's becomes more of a joyful moment when the reunification happens. And especially when it's positive. I've heard of cases where reunification happens and it's not a good situation or somebody there, they have concerns about it and that can always be nerve wracking too, but there is a little bit of relief in knowing that you were there for them in that really horrible time in their lives and that you could love them for that time. And then it's kind of out of your hands. It's kind of what comes with signing up for foster care. So we, we love, we love those kids and we're really excited to foster again, just to have another experience to add to the mix of things we've already had. You guys, thank you so much for sharing. I think that you are both able to articulate your feelings really, really well in a way that I think a lot of people will learn a lot from this episode and walk away with some maybe different perceptions and maybe different desires. And I just love hearing about this relationship that you have now with the kids that you fostered and their mom and what a beautiful blessing and relationship that is. I love that so much. Yeah, thank you. We love what you guys are doing too. We love open adoption and foster care seems like another version of that because it's the openness comes with it. So thank you for being a, an advocate and a voice for that. so much for listening to this episode of the open adoption project and thank you to alicia and shane for sharing with us we loved hearing from them and really loved hearing these different experiences they've had with foster care and building these relationships at one point shane says he wishes that all people could be foster parents and i think to that invitation i think it's worth all of us considering what we can do to help or uplift the lives of others in our community or around us, whether that be becoming foster parents or not. I think that invitation invites us all to kind of step up and see what we can do to help and lift in other people's lives. And I really, really liked that. I love that. Yeah, how we can strengthen families or others in our community. It's really a beautiful invitation. It struck me too. Another part that just stands out in my mind is the patience and love that these two have for these two kids that were brought into their home. I think Alicia did a great job of painting this picture of them sleeping on the floor in their living room and just waiting for one of the kids to wake up. I think us as parents, we've had the experience of waking up with kids in the night, but just the way that they talked about trauma and helping them adapt and cope and change just for me highlighted the 
great amount of patience and love and kindness that these two have. And so I'm just really, really grateful for both of them. Yeah, they're incredible examples. I loved hearing their thoughts and honestly just feel inspired by their examples. So remember today we also have another episode that dropped. It's our double episode release day. And so we have Kim sharing her gestational carrier story in our other episode. So make sure to check that out too. And again, thank you so much, Alicia and Shane. We loved hearing from them.